0: Everything you need is already inside of you. The world would not be what it is without you. When we begin to create change within us, we begin to create change in the world around us. Your journey to becoming your best self as the whole person starts right now.
1: Welcome to the Rise Up For You podcast. I am so excited to be here with you today. My name is Leanne DeSanto and I'll be your host and we are honored that you have joined us. This podcast is here to serve you and stand alongside your journey to becoming your best self. Now, today's expert is Peter Lazaroff. Now, Peter knew at a very young age that he had a future in investing, and you are going to love the story of how his grandmother got him started at age 12. He is the author of Making Money Simple. Don't we all want to do that? And he is also a chief investment officer at Corp. He has been in the financial world most of his life, and we had an awesome conversation you are going to love. So Rise Up For You, enjoy this episode as we welcome Peter Lazaroff. Well, welcome, Peter, to the Rise Up For You podcast.
2: Hey, thanks for having me.
1: Absolutely. Well, we're excited to talk to you today, and um, we always like to start by having our guests share with our audience you know, who they are and what they do.
2: Well, I uh today I'm the co-chief investment officer at Plan Corp, which is an independent advisor. We manage a little over 4 billion dollars for individuals and institutions. And my job in role here as co-chief investment officer is to oversee the management of that money and set and develop the investment strategy as well as communicate it. So, being somewhat of a megaphone for the company, you will see me write for Wall Street Journal and for Forbes. I recently had a book come out, but I do a number of speaking engagements across the country and then also educating people internally. But that doesn't, I guess, tell you a ton about me. Um, That's just what my job title and resume is. So uh, I was born and raised in St. Louis. I currently live here now. And a lot of what spurred my interest in investing was a gift from my grandmother on my 12th birthday. Uh, I have a December 20th birthday. So right around Christmas time, my dad is Jewish. My mom is Catholic. We celebrated all the holidays (laughs) and we're sitting around the Christmas tree and the menorah and my grandmother gives me a piece of paper and it has the nike swoosh on it It says nike corporation and she says i got you nike stock and i'm 12 and i'm thinking well what the heck like this, <laughs> this is awful i yeah. thought i was getting video games or something and yeah. uh you know it turned out to be a really great gift and she explained to me she goes well you know those shoes you're wearing now own that company and it's like oh cool and every time we got together she talked a little bit more about it but i think what got me hooked was i was getting these dividend checks in the mail for a dollar i wasn't doing any work and nike and i'm very lucky that this was my first stock you know it just seemed to always go up every time i looked at it and it split so i kept getting more and more shares and really that fueled a huge interest at a young age where when i left high school I, in my mind as i was looking at colleges and choosing a major i said well, i want to do something with stocks and that could mean all sorts of different things it's a very nebulous, all-encompassing term. But it turns out when I got out of college, um, I took a job as a stock analyst at another independent investment firm. And over time, grew into working with clients and bringing clients of my own. And by the time I came to Plan Corp, I'd gotten all sorts of professional certifications, my CFP, which is Certified Financial Planner, CFA, which is Chartered Financial Analyst. And I really carved out something that I was really passionate about because personal finance um, it can often feel intimidating but it's really just like a giant jigsaw puzzle and i love putting together the different pieces and everybody has their own puzzle and it all looks a little different. There's some general rules of thumbs where you start with the corners first and you build on you know the outside of a puzzle but mm. when you get into the dip diff- some people have more pieces, some people have fewer, they're all different shapes. But I just, there's a lot of uh, satisfaction in solving these puzzles where there is a lot of black and white, even though in personal finance, there can seem like there are just millions of shades of gray. So that's right. kind of how I got back into the field. I love to travel, love to read. I have two kids ages six and two um, and been married to my lovely wife, Ann, for nine years, and um, as of next week, actually, so oh, yeah, that's me.
1: Oh my gosh, that's wonderful! Wow, what a great story about your grandmom and getting that um, kind of money lesson early in life, right? I mean, a lot of people don't get that. It's it, it's a story of money is often a story of struggle, a story of you know, money doesn't grow on trees, or you have to work really hard for your money, or right? I mean, all these. That's kinds so of true.
2: And I don't. We I was really fortunate that my we had family dinners five or six nights a week, which I know is not. All that common and money was not a regular topic of conversation and I don't ever remember my parents really sitting me down to explicitly have a money lesson and if they did I probably wouldn't have listened honestly um I think of my kids even though they're young I'm not sure they'll listen per se but you know my parents set a decent example they I you know they always say it's important to not spend money if you don't have it um and they don't really teach money lessons in school. And so I think having this this role model and my grandmother talking about these different things and she had started her own business late in life, but she was very passionate about the stock market and how great it was and how insistent we need to do it, that suddenly when I was getting my first set of jobs and I worked a lot of odd jobs at age like 14, you know, I've basketball games and you know, worked in a medical filing room room. But by the time I was 16 and waiting tables and working at a car wash, I was like, I got to get that money into a Roth IRA, which <laughs> what weird 16 year old thinks that i am like, I promise I'm way cooler than that. But apparently um, I saw the light real early and I was very passionate about it. And I'm really fortunate to have grown into a career that here as a kid is what I thought I wanted to do. And as an adult, roughly turned out to be correct.
1: Mm, that's that's so cool. That's so cool. And it's so in alignment with what you're doing now and how you're serving your clients, which which is great. And I want to talk a little bit about that. You know, again, the money conversation can be really challenging for people, you know. And so when, when clients come to you or, or over the years, the people you've worked with, do you do you see any through line or common thread around this this fear around money? You know, when they're coming to you, are they coming to you for advisement of where to put it, um, how to earn more? Like, I mean, I'm sure all those conversations come in, but what, what do you feel is the, kind of that, that biggest conversation around the fear and, and what they should do with their money?
2: Yeah, I feel like one of the most, there are two common questions that come out when I first meet with people. And one is, am I doing the right thing? Or... I just want to do the right thing. You know, they're worried about, they see it as right and wrong. Mm. And yes, there are mathematically optimal things to do, but there's also emotions that are very real. And so developing a plan that's cognizant of the feelings that money evokes for you. And if you're married for you and your spouse, those are really important. And chances are you and your spouse will have different Emotions for money. So that's one big question. Mm. And a lot of other people are very concerned with what everyone else is doing. So the other question I get is well, what does everyone else my age or in this situation do? Mm. Which I think is fascinating. We look for that social proof so often. And I think that's been. Even further, I think that was ingrained in our species long ago. It's part of why our species survived and evolved together. But if you look at social media as a form of we're constantly looking for social uh, proof and acceptance, you know, it's a place where we can't talk about our money. And so by the time that you're sitting across the table, for me, it's usually because you realize you don't really have the time to do it yourself or you think, maybe there's something you're missing or you just had a big windfall because, you know, unfortunately you inherited money from somebody who passed or maybe you got a a windfall for a good reason, like you got a big raise or you sold a business. Um, It's typically a fear of making a mistake that drives someone to the table. And then from there, I think people are always surprised at what comprehensive financial planning looks like. So a good example is, I used to mow my lawn. I bought my first house in 2010. I had a pretty decent sized yard. I think it was a little less than half an acre. Um, real estate is cheap here in St. Louis, so for before people freak out about that. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I'd never mowed the lawn before, but I really wanted to do it. And the first time out, it took me maybe three hours. And then as I got better at it, it probably took 90 minutes. The thing is that come Friday or Saturday or Sunday when I'm supposed to mow the lawn, sometimes I didn't feel like it and I got a little lazy and maybe I didn't check the weather, the weather report and it starts raining and then I can't mow cause it's wet. And then the grass is getting longer. Now I'm mowing the lawn eventually. And it's way too, the grass is so long that my mower clogs and it takes me longer. It doesn't look as good. Look, I mowed my lawn. It got done. You know, I didn't kill my grass, but the year we had our first child, we hired a professional to do it for $30 a week. And Oh my goodness, it looked so much better. And it wasn't just because yeah, his team was cutting it on time every week. He's doing all these little things I'd never thought of. So cutting the grass in different directions, depending on the cut, or cutting grass at different lengths based on sun exposure, or seeding strategically, or edging around the flower beds. And what I got was a dramatically healthier looking lawn. uh, And I got a ton of time back. And it's all these things I didn't know to do, or even some of the ones I did know to do, but I was too lazy to do, truthfully. Yeah. It's a lot of what going into financial planning is like. You know, People who are good savers um, and are highly confident, there's no doubt they have a blind spot that can be taken care of that makes a world of difference. And then on the other end of the spectrum, there's a lot of people who aren't confident about, are not confident about their money. And they put it off because you know, it just seems so daunting and there's so many choices that it feels paralyzing. And you'd rather just put it away and not look at it and as long as you feel like, okay, I haven't run out of money and I'm not piling up debt, it's okay. But when you sit down with someone, they help you get organized. You know, There's a lot of research that shows that the financial stress that comes from not being organized is super high. And just bringing that stress level down is so important. So oftentimes, this is circling way back to your original question, you know, what are people asking? Oftentimes, they're coming in because they realize they need some help. They're self-aware people. Um, look, anybody can manage their investments or their money or taxes or estate plan themselves. Mm-hmm. A professional's going to do a better job. It's just like if I go to court to argue over a legal contract, I can go do that. No one's going to stop me. But a lawyer is going to do a better job. Um, people will stop me from doing a medical procedure, but obviously a professional there is going to do a better job. <laughs> right. I think When you sit down and you start getting confident and you start having someone ask you questions that aren't all about dollars and cents, you know, most people will, they'll be caught off guard a little and come back with this level of trust that's so important when you're working with somebody. It's so intimate. It's almost like going to a therapist when you're sharing all these details about your life. Um, And it's really, I think, a rewarding experience. Part of the reasons I love the profession um, and part of why I love those jigsaw puzzles I was talking about before.
1: Yeah, yeah. You have a lot of, um, it's not just the mechanics of where do I put my money. It's all of the mindset and emotional Backstories around it for people, right? Sure. And the fear, and you know the the fear of like budgeting, right? And budgeting is kind of that dirty word that nobody wants to oh, think about wow. because that that means like I'm going to be restricted and not be able to do what I want to do. And but yeah, on the flip side, like having a plan. And and one of my favorite podcasters, Jocko Willick, talks about this like discipline equals freedom, right? To have totally. a discipline. It equals freedom in the long run. So, talk a little bit about that and, and how you maybe navigate those conversations. Because I think there's an overlap. Because um, and rise up for you. You know, we we have our six pillars, which is career, money, love, self worth, health, and relationships, like emotional intelligence, right? So, and those those pillars don't live in silos, right? It's like they all overlap everything. So, I love what you said about you know people and their their. Right and wrong. Like, I don't want to be wrong. I don't want to make a mistake. I want to do the right thing. But I see that a lot with people with their food and their relationship to food and their health and their body. Right. Relationships to other people. Again, it's all. It, it, so I love this conversation that it, it's all interwoven and in everything you're sharing about probably how you have to coach and counsel people is so much around that emotional side.
2: That's right. I think that there is so much, especially now, so much more study of human nature as it relates to finances. The behavioral sciences are really important. And you mentioned budgeting. It feels restrictive. There's a reason budgets don't work. It's because no one wants to sit at their computer once a week and reconcile expenses and feel like, oh, I spent my however much money on restaurants this month. And even though my best friend has a birthday dinner next week, I'm just not going to go because my budget says I can't. Totally unrealistic. You can't take the human nature out of humans. The key is to build systems and processes that acknowledge a lot of our human weaknesses as it comes to money and work around them. So it doesn't try to eliminate them. I think that's a big mistake. You can't eliminate a lot of your very natural urges when it comes to money, but you can build systems that say kind of wave at those urges as it kind of screams right by it. And with budgeting, I subscribe to something, or the belief I kind of tell other people about is something called reverse budgeting, where you lay out all the goals that you have financially and you figure out how much you need to save per month to hit those goals. And after that, like, don't worry about it. Just make sure you don't go down to zero. And the reverse budget focuses on on saving because you can't spend what you don't have. And by automating that, then it's something that as long as you're paying yourself first right away, there's really no opportunity for you to make a bad decision. It just Mm -hmm. continues to save a good savings rate can make up for all sorts of other financial errors that you make in your life. And I think there's um, something on my website. uh, You can actually go to wealthworksheets.com to download the reverse budget. It kind of helps you set up that process. Um, one of the many worksheets you'll find on that page but part of what i love about it is you had said with the restrictiveness of a budget and when you have to cut back if you think of oh gosh i don't have enough i have to cut back spending no no you don't have to cut back spending you're going to spend more on the things that are important to you mm-hmm. it's a very you know yeah sure maybe it's the same thing but there are lots of exercises you go through and especially in this economy we live in we're subscribing to all sorts of different things you know whether it's netflix or in-app subscriptions or mm-hmm. Um, website subscriptions, music subscriptions. We have all these subscriptions that we don't actively use. I mean, there's little low hanging fruit um, if you need to make small changes. I also offer throughout uh, some of my resource pages, some big cuts you can make if you need to, but really focusing in on, hey, how I, I have now worked uh, for 12 years with people and seen what the different errors they make in their savings or what are the challenges. And so my view when I'm working with people is to say, What is this unique challenge that this couple or individual will have and how are we going to build around it? Because I'm not going to change somebody because in reality, I'm not a therapist and I'm not a scientist. I'm not going to change your behaviors. So, and even if I have the perfect financial plan and the perfect portfolio, that just doesn't matter one bit if you're not going to stick with it. So Mm. what's the portfolio and what's the plan that will work for you? You are a custom individual. You deserve something tailored to your needs. And that's what ends up leading people to greater success. It also makes them feel a little bit more ownership in the process, which again ties them more to it and then again helps boost that success in the long run. Mm, that's
1: great. What I, what, I, what I hear you saying is, so, again, so similar to because I coached in the fitness world for 25 years and it's like, sometimes people want to do those big changes, right? The big global, yeah. I'm just never going to eat sugar. I'm just never going to, you know, go out to eat, stick to my budget or whatever. But it's, again, what's your lifestyle? What's realistic? It doesn't have to be so restrictive, but also, um, you know, keep you on your goals and your targets and, and, and feeling good because the stress of all of it's going to take you down more than anything else,
2: right? Sure. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, and with working out, like, let's say your goal is to have a six pack. You can't go to the gym for 30 minutes, have one workout, and then forever have a six-pack. Right. But here's the cool thing about finances. You can spend 30 to 60 minutes on something and get your financial six-pack over time, if, as long as you're automating whatever you spent time on, because then you never have to do it again. It's not like going to the gym over and over. But the progress will be incremental, like the gym. Um, I, myself, am a swimmer. Uh, I say I'm a swimmer like I race or something, I exercise, I I choose to swim laps as my form of exercise, but the progress is always incremental, and all of a sudden there are these giant leaps, and I feel like that's the same way it is with finance, and that's why finance can be discouraging, is here you feel like you're making these sacrifices, and your account balances don't seem to move that much, but let's say you're to look only once a year, or once every two years, all of a sudden you'll say, oh my goodness, I didn't know I had that much money in the account, Um, it's really amazing, how big the leaps are and how incredible compounding can be if you just give it enough time to work and leverage it correctly.
1: Yeah, I've heard a lot about that recently. I think in Tony Robbins book, he talked about that. I just, you know, a lot of just things out there I read about the co-compounding interest thing. And I know it, it's amazing to me, right? It's, and, and it seems like it's so little. I wish I started earlier for sure. <laughs> but um, yeah, t- just tell me a, a little bit about the mechanics of that. So where would you say, if you're starting on my 15 year old daughter, like, because okay. regular bank accounts, they don't really seem to do anything. So where do you put your five or ten dollars a week or a month or whatever?
2: Well, if you're fifteen, your options are a little more limited because you don't have income. Um, I will say the moment they have, you know, that they have a job with a with a W two on it, and mm-hmm. you know, they could contribute to a Roth IRA. It's unrealistic to expect, say, a 15-, 16-, 17-year-old to contribute to the Roth IRA. So that might be a really nice teaching moment for parents to say, hey, for every dollar you put into your Roth IRA, I'll put $2 in or $5 in. Or, you know what, I'm going to match whatever your earnings were to give you a Roth contribution, and here's why. And it gives you allows you to make a gift, which then gets the child's attention, and then they have to give you attention on why it's important to save and why you're doing it and how, when you get out of college, you should save a little bit of every. Uh, paycheck. Mm -hmm. And when you want to stop working as you get older, you'll be able to because you started early. Um, Chapter one of my book is on the power of compounding. And I went back and forth on that. Uh, I probably didn't mention my book is called Making Money Simple. And the reason I put chapter one there is the theme of compounding kept coming up in different areas. And so whether you're 15 or 40 or 60, you know, any decision you make today will compound over multiple decades into something that's extremely meaningful. And when people are just getting started out of college, I say, save into your 401k. If they're mid-career and they're already maxing out their 401k, or they're equivalent if you're a business owner and you have like a SEP IRA or an individual IRA, something. So as you're maxing out your retirement accounts, then go ahead and invest for the future in a taxable account. Just make sure to look out for costs. Keep Cost as low as possible. If you're getting professional help, which I'm obviously biased in thinking that you should, um, it's a lot like my mowing the lawn example. Like I can mow my lawn, but look better with someone else. But here, I'll you know put my money where my mouth is. I hired PlanCorp to be my financial advisor this year. You know, mm-hmm. I am a financial advisor, but I still hired somebody because it gives me that objective third party to bounce ideas off of, and it makes sure I don't get lazy or have some sort of blind spot. But circling back to where do you start? You know, I think if you aren't earning an income and you're a child, the bank account's as good as any. You can open up a, a stock account, and well, I don't think buying individual stocks is a good idea for really growing wealth. I do think it's a better way to teach younger people about the market and mm-hmm. understanding that's an ownership stake in a company and. They'll watch it make money and they'll watch it lose money. And hopefully what they learn is, wow, picking individual stocks is really hard. I probably shouldn't do that. Um mm-hmm. You know, I learned through Nike as well. So my grandmother gave me that share on my 12th birthday. She gave me a share of a different company for every birthday up to age 18. And some of them worked out well. I mean, some were Apple, some were Disney. Others didn't work out well, like Nokia and Gap. I don't think those did very well. <laughs> uh, and, you know, they're fortunately still solvent, but, you know,
1: yeah. they're
2: not worth it really anything. Um you know, once you have an income, though, I think the most important thing you can do is try to maximize the tax-deferred accounts for retirement. So that's your 401k, or if you work for a nonprofit, like a 403b, if you work for the government, it's a 457. Your IRAs, um, your HSAs, if you have them. Your HSA is just like the coolest retirement planning tool if you can max it out and then not actually spend it on your health care expenses. Uh, beyond that, you know, I think it's there are some orders of operation you might have debt you know you have to take care of and so do you invest or pay down debt Mm -hmm. there is um, a tool I created it's called Mm smartmoneyquiz.com and what smartmoneyquiz.com does is sort of looks at your financial picture it's only nine questions and really highlights where to start and that can give you some ideas of where the best place to save is regardless of where you are in your journey so it's
1: smartmoneyquiz.com
2: smartmoneyquiz.com. Perfect. Thank you.
1: Thank
2: you. For Mostly because people can't spell Lazaroff. I <laughs> decided to get a different, yeah. <laughs> yeah. My website's like impossible. Unless you know how to spell my last name, it's very it's difficult. Fortunately, Google's pretty smart.
1: Yeah, perfect. Well, we'll make sure we have it in the show notes too. So, but yeah, no, that, that's wonderful. Making money simple. I love it. That's a great title. And I think that's what people are looking for. You know, there's so many, but well, can feel really complicated to people, you know, and, and I think that goes back to you, to your, they don't want to make a mistake but things seem right. really complicated and that's why it's so important to hire a financial planner you know or just like with any other thing yep. in your life right because you if it's not your wheelhouse and you're gonna spend more time what you could be making money in that time and pay someone else and and let someone else take that over
2: yeah I mean I could admit I don't I, I love taking care of everyone else's finances but I did hate taking care of mine I don't think I realized how awesome it was when I hired an advisor yeah. like this is wonderful <laughs> um, who knew I mean for yeah. to As passionate as I am, I think it's, it's, I'm surprised that I waited this long and it was because I had a hard time parting with the money, knowing I could do it. Um, Just like any sort of do it yourself or would, but but it's really been a rewarding experience for me. And uh, I can't emphasize enough that everybody who's listening is capable of doing it themselves. That's why I often equate it to mowing your grass. Mm -hmm, There's mm -hmm. a big part of wall street that makes it try to seem like it's super complicated and you need our help Mm -hmm. in order to, you know, succeed, and that's not necessarily true. If you have the time and resources to get dedicate towards it, you can sure. do it yourself. Sure. The thing is, I've just seen that most people ultimately don't dedicate that time or those resources.
1: Right, right. Right. Well, and that's great, and I love that you share that because that that um, that just goes to your uh, you know your character that you're like, hey, you could do this on your own. I'm not saying I'm the be all end all, but you know. But at the end of the day, you know, hiring a professional for anything. Can make more sense, but you know, sure. like you said, we're in a do-it-yourself world. There's, you know, information's all over the place. So, but yep. um, but yeah, I yep. like that that's fantastic. Well, you shared some great things. Um, I really love this conversation, especially that deeper conversation about the fear and and uh, just people kind of understanding that it doesn't have to be as scary as they think it is. Right? They can still yeah. Yeah. you know stay on track financially, but live a great life too, and not feel like it's you know, deprivation or restriction or you know, being bad, being slapped on the hand if they want to do something they want to do. So so that's fantastic. I love that. Um okay, so a few closing questions we always love to ask our guests. The sure. first one is um what book had a massive impact on you or that you'd love to recommend to our audience?
2: Well I think there have been books that have had impacts in different ways. I'm going to steer towards one that I think made me rethink the spending of money. It's called Happy Money, The Science of Happier Spending by Elizabeth Dunn and Michael Norton. And they focus on the five ways that science has shown that using your money can increase happiness. And they're very relevant examples. Things like when you're buying a home or a car or which which refrigerator you give or how you give gifts – so many very relevant things and it opens your eyes on you know it's really easy to again mathematically choose the right saving strategies I think spending your money in a way that will increase happiness has been very powerful for the way that I set goals as well as help others so I think that's a wonderful book I think Elizabeth Dunn is a wonderful speaker as well Mm. so if you ever just put her into YouTube and watch a speech in Ferris. I've never watched Michael Norton. It's not to say he isn't a good speaker. I just happen to have seen Elizabeth Dunn a few times and think she's wonderful. So mm-hmm. I'd, I'd say that's the book that changed, um, a lot of my lifestyle finance thoughts, um, mm. for the better.
1: Mm, nice. I like the title. Happy money. <laughs> yeah. That's terrific. Okay. So, um, one quote, one quote that you live by.
2: Well, um, so I, don't know the end of this is, uh, I don't know who this came from. The mentor told me this once uh, and he said he didn't know who it came <laughs> from. But basically, he said, as you work in any sort of service industry, whether that's finance or law or accounting or fitness or coaching or whatever, you need to find ways to help people either solve a problem, make life simpler, or help them make more money. And so, if I'm offering you a service, you would hope that I'm going to do at least one of those things. I would love to do all three, but I, you know, my general goal is hopefully I'm doing two of those things. And I think for any of the listeners who are ever in a situation where you feel like you're in a sales situation or you offer services, just continue to find ways to either solve a problem, make life simpler, or help the customer make more money. Mm, love that. That's
1: so true. It's like that foundation, right? I love yeah. that. That's great. Okay, if you could leave the world with one message, like your golden nugget, what would that be?
2: So I think I'll pull from my book, um, I say in school, you're given a lesson than a test. And in life, you're given a test, and then you learn the lesson. Mm -hmm. And money lessons can be expensive. Mm. So We all need to understand our money. You know, there's nobody in any place in life who has 100% understanding of it. And the sooner you gain understanding of it, the fewer of those expensive money lessons that you'll end up having to deal with in life.
1: Mm, Wow. I love that. i like, I've never heard it stated like that. That's so true, though. It's like the challenge, the test, the struggle. And then we're like, oh, okay. Hmm. Maybe I did learn something out of that. (laughs) That's fantastic. (laughs) I love that. Um, Okay, before our last question, I know you mentioned a couple websites, but how can we connect with you, support you, and um, if you could just tell us those websites again for our audience, that'd be great.
2: Sure, well, before I tell you how to support me, I'll just remind users, if you go to smartmoneyquiz.com, I'll point to a few areas where it can potentially give you a place to start with your finances, as well as some resources to get you going there. Um, but if you're looking to follow me, you can go to peterlazaroff.com. Um, you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook at Peter Lazaroff, they're all the same. Um, the trick is spelling my name, but you can go to the show notes and, and find that. Um, Absolutely. And then obviously, you know, I write on PlanCorp's website, PlanCorp.com. And, you know, everything that I write for Wall Street Journal and Forbes and my own website eventually ends up there as well.
1: Wow. Terrific. Fantastic. Thank you for that. And one Mm -hmm. last question. So as you know, we're called Rise Up For You. So when you hear that, that phrase, Rise Up For You, what does it mean to you?
2: So we actually, you actually hit on, I think, what's going to be the point. We talked a little bit, but when I think of rising up, I think it should be an incremental process. And those small steps that you take are hard to notice at first, but they're impossible to ignore in the long run. Because over time, small habits compound into incredible results. And so I think of rising up, You know, it's not that you are at point A and you're immediately at point B. You're rising up in that exponential growth, and the power of that is so underappreciated. And honestly, the science behind our brains—we're not structured to think of exponential things. We think linearly: one plus one is two, then three, four, five. Rising up in the incremental process should be going from one to two to four to eight to sixteen, yeah. rather than going from one, two, yeah. three, four, five. So, um, I, I think you know your message is wonderful, and and hopefully. You know, people as they read my materials or read "Making Money Simple," you know, they'll see that that's kind of a belief that I subscribe to within that form of rising up. Yeah,
1: yeah, I love that. That's that's fantastic. Absolutely, because you're right. I think we're in a world of like we think we we have you know we're looking at social media, following these people, whatever. We we get bombarded with so many images of what we should be doing, right? The life we should be living. And it's like, is that even the life we want, right? Or are they even really living that life? So yeah, it, it's, it's those little incremental habits, steps, rituals, whatever that, that make the difference. So that was beautiful. Thank you for that so much. Well, I so enjoyed this conversation and so love the work that you're doing as well. And just want to thank you. And I know that you're um, standing along with us in our journey to help our audience, you know, live their best life. And money is is a big part of that. So I do definitely want to thank you for this conversation today.
2: Well, thank you for having me. And thank you for all that you're doing for the community yourself.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much. And we will talk soon.
0: Thank you for joining us today on the Rise Up For You podcast series. We're here to serve you and inspire you to become your best self so that you can live a life that you are proud of. If you haven't already, head over to our website, riseupforyou.com and explore through all that we have to offer. Don't forget to subscribe while you're there for exclusive materials sent to you weekly and also subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and any other major podcast channel. Join us for our next episode. But until we meet again, rise up for you, be better today than yesterday, and prepare for a greater you tomorrow.